0: Welcome to Show Cause, the official podcast of the University of Memphis School of Law. I'm Ryan Jones, the Director of Communications at the Law School, and I'll be your host for this podcast as we attempt to examine and explain some of the legal and cultural issues at play in the world today.
1: In My first book, The Death and Life of Great American Cities, I was Outraged at what city planners and designers and architects and the politicians who and the developers who supported all these ideas were doing. I thought they were killing cities. They were very rigid regimentation. Residents should be separated from working places. Services and retail things that the population depended upon should be condensed into shopping malls. It was all boring, repetitious, and as far as I could see, it didn't work. So I thought cities have been around a long time. They have worked reasonably well, and especially you can find areas of cities that do work well socially and economically that's what needs to be studied that's what needs to be observed and see what's important what do you want out of housing or what do you want out of shopping you think how all these things the housing the services where people work the cultural and institutional things how they all affect each other how the parks and the streets affect each other What people do affects how the streets are used, that streets can't be thought of as just uh, for carrying traffic. They uh, perform many other services.
0: That was Jane Jacobs, one of the most influential voices on urban planning in the last century, discussing the harm that rigid old-fashioned and confusing regulations can have on the growth of cities and neighborhoods memphis has an extensive and often confusing history in land use regulation and planning itself it was the first city in tennessee and one of the first in the south to engage in comprehensive planning and zoning with the city having gone through no less than four comprehensive zoning ordinances over the years but while it was progressive at the start of those planning eras many feel that regulations have failed to keep up with market realities at times in the city's history Oftentimes, complex and sometimes contradictory land use laws have had the effect of holding back progress in the modern environments of our city. Regulations imposed by the city to protect the city can also hold the city back. In other words, sometimes the very tools designed to stimulate growth and positive development instead create abandonment and decline. The importance of planning and thoughtful urban design done correctly could not be clearer. Memphis is at an interesting place in its planning and zoning history, however. With the somewhat recent implementation of a unified development code, which helps define and regulate uses based on broad categories with select specific use types rather than discretionary use permits, as well as the new Memphis 3.0 comprehensive plan that helps guide land use, development, transportation, and other built environments over the next 20 years, the city has a cohesive and strategic roadmap to building its future. In today's episode of Show Cause, we'll hear from Josh Whitehead, the administrator of the Memphis and Shelby County Office of Planning and Development, who will help explain all of this in a little bit more detail. He's also been an adjunct professor at Memphis Law for years, specializing in teaching land use law. Our conversation covers lots of ground, from the lengthy and often turbulent history of zoning in Memphis, to the impact of the city's unified development code on the future growth and identity of Memphis itself. This is Show Cause. Thanks for joining me today. Let's start out with, uh, why don't you just tell me a little about uh, yourself, who you are, your job title, and and kind of how you view view your job and uh, what its role is in the city.
2: Oh, that last part is, that last part will be interesting. Well, uh, my role is uh, entitled the Zoning Administrator for Memphis and Shelby County. The um, latter part of that has uh, a somewhat diminished jurisdictional area due to the fact that over the years, the suburban municipalities have uh, A, incorporated, B, annexed, C, developed their own zoning ordinances. So when you compare, uh, you know, the geogra- geographical jurisdiction of my position with that of the original uh, person in my role almost a hundred years ago, 1922, <laughs> um, it has gotten smaller in that the uh, suburban jurisdictions now have their own zoning ordinances. With um, the advent of the sewer moratorium in unincorporated Shelby County, we have really in the last few years um, kind of gone two radically different, um, in, in two radically different pathways between our city of Memphis cases and our unincorporated Shelby County cases. Uh, The cases we see out there are very different than the cases we see in the city of Memphis. So my role, um, given that environment, allows my department and I to review cases uh, of such different types that I don't know if there's many zoning administrators or city planners in general that that get to see that wide range of cases. Development types. So, the zoning administrator, what does he or she do uh, for every uh, proposal? And at this point, now that we have an online permitting system, for every proposal involving a new building, a building expansion, or a new accessory structure, uh, such as a shed, maybe at the, the at the one end of the spectrum, to uh, you know a a restaurant in front of a shopping. Mall, all of those proposals get vetted through my department to determine the adherence to the zoning code and the zoning code largely deals with use Mm -hmm. is this proposed building and its use permitted at this location, Uh, but also is it set back, is it uh, too tall enough, is it set back enough, is it too tall. Uh, does it have the proper landscaping? Does it have the proper parking, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? So we we determine the eligibility of those projects to either go on the fast course, quote unquote, as a buy right use, and if you're a builder, that is music to your ears. <laughs> uh, or we've dinged it. We've dinged it for too tall not set back enough or the the big ding your use this use is not permitted in this zoning district once you get dinged uh you have several options before you but all of those involve a public hearing process right so that's why the buy right use if you're a, a builder is music to your ears because uh once you invite commentary from adjacent property owners uh You're likely going to have to massage your plans, (laughs) which, uh, you know, if you've already had the plan uh, in your mind or have paid an architect to draw it out on pen and paper, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, massaging uh, may not be what you wanted to do. But in my experience, if you don't do any massaging, you could be setting yourself up for failure. Okay. Now that's what it is. The last part of your question was, uh, "What do I see it as it is?" Right. Okay. Well, there has been discussions that a a quote unquote good zoning administrator can expedite the good and stymie the bad, and that might be true. And this may be one of the perils of hiring an attorney in this role uh, because, um, you know, expediting and stymieing people in similar situations that I um, have determined good or bad raises a lot of uh, potential constitutional questions. (laughs) So uh, I try to do my job as left brained as possible. And when I mean okay. that, I mean um, we try. Eventually, through the process, we will we will tell you very early in the process whether we think uh, a we can uh, we can endorse it, we as staff, which sometimes means more than it does others, uh, but b whether you can get the necessary votes, uh, and c there may have been similar requests in your neighborhood and this is how they turned out, uh, good or bad or ugly. So we do try to do that, but, um, I don't believe in steining your project. If, if Ryan Jones wants to propose something really, really weird, you know, mm. uh, in a, in a location, <laughs> we will tell him it's our obligation to tell him it's really weird but it's, I don't think our role to tell him we will not accept your application if you choose to file. Uh, and th- I think that's maybe a key difference. Um, there's, there's slices of that, that all people in my role will do uh, at discouraging the weird things. And we do, you know, uh, well, first of all, there's weird things that everybody can agree is weird, right? Mm-hmm. A, a 50 story, office building in the middle of a residential subdivision. But in many cases, weird is in the eye of the beholder. And uh, again, going back to the left brain approach, what I like to do is just keep, keep it to the facts. Mr. Jones, uh, someone um, applied for a very similar use at a very nearby location, and this is how it turned out. You know, a very fact-based analysis to let mr jones make the determination right um and 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 even maybe further saying and we did not support that and we
0: cannot support your
2: project either and and then and then you do what you do
0: yeah you hit (laughs) you've hit on so many different things that i want to follow up on here um a couple of them i'll wait till the till we're wrapping things up i mean one i want to know how you mentioned uh, a lawyer in your role being unique. So I'm going to follow up on that and figure out how you went from the law to planning. So we're going to circle back. And then, uh, but one of the things that I came across when I was looking up some research for this um, and deals with what you talked about just now and trying to not stymie the weird. Um, I came across a quote from Jane Jacobs, um, which anybody listening to this, I'm assuming already has an interest in planning and design and and zoning. So hopefully I already know who that is, but she's argued that planners often ignore the intuition and experience of those people that actually live in their cities, Um, which kind of, I feel like ties into what you're saying. Um, So how do you avoid, how do you avoid that in your role overseeing zoning and planning here? Um, How do you, I guess, how do you keep, the innovative things and still factor in the neighborhoods and the citizens' you know, best interests at the same time, looking out for the best interests of the city?
2: Well, for right or for wrong, it's pretty easy because we have a very flexible zoning regime and I say for right or for wrong, that flexibility has been baked into our our culture, (laughs) our zoning ordinance uh, through a variety of uh, enabling acts, uh, Supreme Court, Tennessee Supreme Court and Tennessee Court of Appeals opinions. Um, So when I say flexible, our zoning board, uh, for instance, our zoning board is one of the few zoning boards in the state that has the power to grant a use variance, right? Most zoning boards in Tennessee operate under the uh, Tennessee code annotated, which if you read it, it does not lend itself to the the concept of a use variance. So Mr. Jones, you own a house. Uh, You wanna add on to the rear uh, your house and your lot require a 20-foot setback from your rear property line, according to the zoning ordinance. Um, You in any place in Tennessee that has zoning, you have the right to seek a variance, a bulk variance, to uh, encroach upon that 20-foot rear yard setback. And you need to show that uh, maybe because uh, the slope of your land Uh, On the side or in the front prevents you from expanding your house in another direction. Uh, Maybe because of the shape, let's say it's a pie shaped lot on a cul de sac. Uh, Maybe there's only one way for you to add on to this house in the manner in which you you wish. Uh, So you need to show some kind of extraordinary uh, quality of your property and that adhering to the zoning ordinance imparts upon you a hardship or practical difficulty. Okay, that's everywhere in Tennessee, including in Memphis. Memphis and Shelby County have this uh, special enabling legislation uh, because we were the first city in the state to get zoning, meaning uh, the General Assembly, when they granted us zoning, they just granted it to us. They were not quite ready to grant it to all subunits, all municipalities and counties so our special legislation uh, a private act says that our zoning board can grant use variances so going back to mr. Jones uh, let's say mr. Jones doesn't want to convert you know add on to the rear of his property and uh, which involves a bulk variance let's say he would like to convert his property to a repair shop uh, an auto repair shop And he has that ability in Memphis and Shelby County to go to the zoning board and make that request. Now, you still have to show something is extraordinary with your property. Uh, You know, that and that with such a request maybe is going to be a much higher bar. Why can't you use this property as zoned? It's zoned residential. What about it makes it? impractical for you to use as zone. So uh, over the decades, there's been a lot of uh, gnashing of teeth over the zoning board's uh, granted ability to pass use variances. Um, my take is, well, that's the law. How do we go from here? Well, how can we best train our staff and our zoning board members uh, to really hold on to the, the requirements, the findings of fact that Mr. Jones' property has to be unique. He has to show a hardship or practical difficulty, et cetera. At the same time, it provides a level of flexibility uh, to your question that could potentially allow w- weird things, uh, good weird things, right? Uh, right? Some weird things are good and uh, you know, innovation, the zoning ordinance, you know, we try to keep it up to date, but it's never going to uh, be as up to date as the, the whims of the marketplace mm-hmm. uh, and, and the whims of people's fancy uh, who have maybe innovative and weird ideas. So the fact that we have that route uh, is, is one of many means of flexibility. Number two, uh, the plan development process. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another zoning tool. That also allows Mr. Jones to pretty much request anything, anywhere. Uh, Now, there's a lot of unease over these flexibility devices among, well, among all of us, because it means everybody uh, lives next to someone who could Uh ask something really weird on their property (laughs) through one of these two pretty flexible uh, devices. Um, So again it just takes a lot of training to the staff to the board of adjustment with regard to use variances to the lanes control board and the city council and the county commission with regard to plan developments Uh, and you know it kind of all takes care of itself right Uh, when you have neighborhood opposition um, and the neighborhood opposition uh, comes with very salient points this weird thing next to my house will have drastic impacts on my house uh, versus this unusual thing. Um, it may be good, it may be bad, I don't know, uh, but it seems like it might be bad. You know, And so the decision makers can take all that into account when they vote on this weird thing. Um, so I think our zoning culture, uh, again, a lot of people uh, over the decades have disparaged its flexibility. But at least it does provide a, a huge degree of innovation.
0: You know, I know we've gone through three or four, if not more, iterations of the of the zoning code. And now it seems within the past, I guess, you know five, six, seven years, you've put together that unified development code, correct? And so it seems like seems like a culmination of of a century of work. To finally have this this new UDC, and so, can you talk about what that is and how did it originate, and and how you think that is going to improve, you know, Memphis going forward? A little about the history, I guess. Here, yeah. I know it's an interesting history.
2: Well, and the fact that it's a unified development code versus a zoning code uh, is probably the least sexy part <laughs> of this answer. Uh, The union... Don't undersell. (laughs) Well, (laughs) stay tuned. The (laughs) the union was just between the zoning section of the ordinance, which sat over here in like, you know, title 16 of the Memphis Code and the Shelby, some other title of the Shelby Mm -hmm. County Code, and the subdivision regulations, which was a totally different section, um, which... (sighs) has advantages, uh, but it, it, we made the determination that it had more disadvantages than advantages because it was not as user-friendly, right? Uh, the subdivision regulations, which state uh, how your roads need to be laid out in a new subdivision and, um, you know, had the process through which a subdivision is reviewed, but then your zoning ordinance way over here tells you the size of the lots that you're creating, you know, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense mm-hmm. uh, being in two different locations. So it it the unified development code started out that simple just to, to bring those two sections together. But of course it did so much more. When I was in law school, let's see, I'd started law school in 2002. I don't remember when it was during law school but I want to say it was pretty early on uh, and maybe it was whenever Mayor Wharton was elected county mayor because I think it was pretty early in that uh, in his tenure as county mayor that he held this press conference this big to-do at the Cook Convention Center Mm -hmm. and I went there and it was all about The zoning ordinance, this old 1981 zoning ordinance uh, is 20 something years old and it encourages suburban sprawl. Mm -hmm. I was very intrigued because I had just graduated in 2000 uh, with my planning degree and that was one of the books, uh, I think the geography of nowhere Mm -hmm. uh, that I had read uh, like as optional reading in grad school and he he let's see uh i I have it yeah james howard kunstler okay makes i mean his whole thesis for this book is the fact that uh zoning ordinances around the country uh discourage the kind of development that cities need uh to to embrace their pre-automobile core and to encourage new development to look like the old development and to encourage the old development from not being knocked down and rebuilt in some more negative fashion, Uh, but also encourages, uh, let's see, I forgot how I started this this sentence. (laughs) <laughs> what do we encourage you to that most zoning codes uh in the country encourage suburban sprawl and right. suburban type development you know parking in the front building in the back et cetera, et cetera. so mayor wharton one of his goals as articulated at the very outset was to create a zoning ordinance that uh does not uh encourage that kind of development in fact it encourages the opposite um now it would be pollyannish to say through uh, regulation alone we can turn back the clock and return to our uh, Mm -hmm. our streetcar routes and we (laughs) will all walk and take the streetcar and uh, live life you know there was a thought maybe with gasoline uh, prices going up that people would give up their single occupancy vehicles Well. Elon Musk has an answer for that. Uh, no, you can keep your single occupancy vehicles, and you don't have to worry about gas. Okay, so it looks like cars are going to be with us for the foreseeable future. Um, but the issue with the UDC, and I and I think the issue that Mayor Wharton wanted to tackle is uh, we can accommodate car traffic and uh, vehicular customers at stores and, uh, storage of cars at apartment buildings, et cetera, in such a way that doesn't make life for the pedestrian miserable. Um, and we embraced the car as a city pretty early on. Uh, and when I say that we've never, maybe this speaks to, uh, us as a city and maybe some of the uh complexities that uh that was were part of the founding of this city right we had a lot of people from very different walks of life um living and trying to create a urban place and i have opined before that maybe those complexities uh prevented us from wanting to live too close to each other. And because Memphis, much more than any other city of its size then and now, developed as a single family, yards, side yards, backyards, city. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have such a low amount of apartment buildings, um, even attached housing, than even some of our... southern uh uh cities not to mention uh, the northern cities that obviously were built uh in that kind of
0: mm-hmm.
2: Dense mm-hmm. in that fashion yeah. much more so we we embraced the car we embraced low density we were allergic to you know we're, we almost kind of developed as the anti-city city mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't yeah. want to get too close to each other so all of that we're trying to that you know, the suburban city, the anti-city city is not attracting the creative class. It's right, not right. It's not attracting uh, people who want to live in a vibrant uh, environment. So the UDC, the, the mission of the UDC is to make us look like a city where maybe we uh, never did before. So, and to not only allow uh, these great buildings, these old great buildings to continue uh, and be refurbished without going uh, through a whole process. The the 1981 code, if you want to take a beautiful old building that had parking off to the side or in the back, if you wanted, or not enough parking, you were forced to go through all the hoops of the zoning board. You had to show that you had a uh, something unique that made it impractical for you to redevelop this site. We did everything to discourage that. Meanwhile, if you wanted to build, you know, a a building behind a sea of parking or an apartment building behind a sea of parking, you did that by right. Remember that the magic, the, 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 the magic language by right. Uh, so we, we tried, and I think successfully did so address, uh, what really needed to uh, go through an arduous process and what didn't to more align with uh, our historical values, the, the, these old buildings that you know were built for the pedestrian, but also going into the future. Again, um, there, uh, there are people in this sphere, the planning sphere who say, aha, parking, there needs to be maximum parking. Right. Uh, (laughs) If Mr. Jones uh, wants to build a shopping center or a a grocery store, we're going to set a maximum amount of parking. You know, not only does he have to put it in the back or to the side and put his front door to the front. I'm thinking of the new Kroger, for instance. Right. Mm. Uh, But we're going to cap the number of parking he can have. The issue with going to that Place in Memphis is, you know, we still have such a high usage of uh, high automobile usage, partly because we are this spread out, low density city, which doesn't lend itself to a uh, as effective of a public transit system as we would like. So, will we someday in the future be able to set parking maximums? And, and do more aggressive things like that. Maybe, uh, but it'll take a densification of the city which would enable a, um, a much more efficient public transit system. And then we can go there. It's all, all works together. And I'm a, of the mind that um, because we're such a flexible zoning environment, we place some uh, you know, draconian zoning regulations on properties. Uh, okay, the people just go through the zoning variance process and after a while, staff, mm-hmm. the zoning board, the city council, whoever are gonna be like, what are we doing? This is not this is not effective. it's just making people go through a process and mm-hmm. paying fees. which you know, I'm a, I'm a, my department is run largely by an enterprise fund, so yeah, these <laughs> <Fees laughs> are gonna... fine with me.. But yeah. what are we encouraging and what are we discouraging in the
0: process? The flip side of that, I'm interested. To, so, what do you think about cities like Houston that have almost no zoning codes or, or are, you know, minimal zoning codes? Is is that a case? I mean, they have a much higher density than we do, um, but is it almost becoming like a? It used to be bad, but maybe now it's good because there's been such a public mindset shift to um, more people know about good aesthetics, good design and good neighborhood planning. Um, So, I mean, how, how does that, how does that work in your mind? I mean, is it a, is it something set up to always just look like chaos or, you know, can it result in something, in something better?
2: Uh, Good point. Right. So uh, the argument would be if, if your zoning ordinance is too flexible, then what's the point? You're just where Houston is. Yeah. Uh, now, one note on Houston. Houston does uh, not have a zoning ordinance, but they do achieve uh, a lot of what is normally achieved through zoning uh, through their subdivision plating process. And so they're sub. they still have a subdivision Regulations, right? Remember, we we were talking Mm -hmm. about the Unified Mm -hmm. Development Code as two things. The subdivision uh, process where a property owner goes to their planning commission for their subdivision, uh, there's often a lot of conditions that are very zoning-ish. (laughs) Zoning-ish. That'll be placed on their plat. Um, And I, I used to think those were almost, those were exclusively... Uh, enforced by neighbors, just as the case here, if, if you and I both own lots in uh, the same subdivision and you start operating a business, uh, I, could, I have two choices at my disposal. I could call the city because that's probably a zoning violation. But uh, if I really want to get your attention, I'll sue you in chancery court <laughs> as, a, as basically a breach of contract. Our subdivision, let's say, explicitly states no businesses shall be operated on any of the lots. Uh, so yes, you are breaking municipal law uh, and that's a whole process, sometimes a very lengthy process. Why don't I just cut to the chase uh, and, and sue you and that'll really get your attention. So Houston, I was at one time of the mindset that 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 government had no enforcement capabilities of these subdivision covenants. But I've since been told that some of them are actually enforced by code enforcement because they're on a plat approved by the Planning Commission. So uh, I wanted to mention that Houston kind of has zoning. Okay. But where it does not have zoning, and this is maybe a social justice issue, is those subdivisions from way back when that didn't have any of these little notes. Um, Right, because the notes on these subdivision plats in Houston have grown in number Mm -hmm. as time goes on uh, in recognition of the lack of zoning. But if you go back to the 19th century plats and some of the early 20th century plats, there's no notes. It's just here's the lots, here's the streets. Uh, And that's where you see much more of uh, that's where you feel the lack of zoning. Mm -hmm. And I say that's a social justice issue because uh, now. You know, uh, there's there's no enforcement, and a lot of people don't even even if there are notes on those set of implants, people don't have the means to privately enforce them and take them through the court process. Um, so, uh, that's 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 my take on Houston. So the so, interesting. Oh, go ahead. I are You ask. You always ask three questions, and the best ones at the end, <laughs> and I forget that last one.
0: Well, um, if you can remember it, I'll, I'll answer it. <laughs> well, let me, I, let me build on something you just said there about the social justice stuff, because it, as we've talked, it kind of, it's come to the forefront of my mind that I wonder, do you think that planning and zoning can play a role in helping some of those, uh, older and poorer communities, um, elevate themselves somewhat. So for instance, you know, we have a lot of food deserts here. You've got large swaths of land that don't have say like grocery stores or, or parks within them. Um, Is that, is that an issue that zoning can possibly help to get some of those, those large tracts of, of land, those neighborhoods to a better position socially?
2: Uh, Well, let me answer that. Let me answer your question, which was about zoning (laughs) But let me also answer it maybe in a more satisfactory way. Uh, and what can planning do? And maybe okay. before I do that, give you or probably mostly your audience uh, just a 101 on what in the world is the difference between zoning and planning. So, zoning, I would say, particularly zoning enforcement, uh, is real key in. Um, Encouraging the kind of environment where people would want to invest, including grocery store owners. And this gets into reactive uh, enforcement versus proactive enforcement. And because of the size of our, the historical size of our um, zoning inspection staff, we largely do um, reactive, but we're getting, uh, when was it? about a year ago, uh, the zoning inspectors were uh, transferred to my department. So they, they report to me now. And so we are um, subject matter by subject matter, starting mainly with signs and billboards, going through the city and uh, getting better at proactive enforcement when we're already in a neighborhood. Uh, again, the bread and butter of our inspectors work uh, is and maybe will forever be reactive, right? Someone calls mm-hmm. us, we go inspect the site, etc. cetera. Um, but what we find in some of these um, neighborhoods that have been, that have experienced disinvestment, we see uh, fewer complaints because, gee, am I gonna complain about Ryan's zoning infraction when I have one myself.
0: Makes sense, yeah.
2: Uh, and I didn't know I had one, but I, I called Ryan in a year <laughs> ago and when they were in the neighborhood, they did cite me. So apparently uh, I, I do have zoning problems or I heard that that happened down the street to someone else. So you get this lower, um, even in a, in, a, in a reactive environment uh, where we are reacting to complaints, you find that certain neighborhoods are not as uh, uh, in, inspected, mm-hmm. for lack like of a better word. So we're working on that, uh, number one, and, and that I think will do uh, have the positive effect of people wanting to invest in those neighborhoods. Uh, but I think this is where planning can really come in to assist. And so very briefly, Zoning—we've kind of explained it. What, right. what does zoning do? You know, we look at your proposal. It's—it's it's, it in itself very reactive. We wait for Mister Jones to make an application. We review it for zoning compliance, and either we tell him it it doesn't work, and when we tell him it doesn't work, we tell him here's his options, uh, you know, places to go to to make it right, or to or that he gets approved. Well, planning is more. Uh, you know, looking into the future, and a lot of times, planning and zoning touch in that. Uh, let's say, for instance, uh, we went through well, we went through this Memphis 3.0 mm-hmm. process where we identified certain parts of the city as anchors, and in those anchors, uh, we expect a certain level of pedestrian-oriented uh, new development. Well, coming in uh, at the tail end of that is often a rezoning. So okay, these are the areas that we uh, determined through a lot of public discourse were uh, identified as anchors uh, that need to be uh, serve as um, centers for neighborhoods, and part of that requires you know uh, pedestrian oriented, buildings etc more mm-hmm. mixed use maybe a little more density uh, so then we need to down zone or up zone whatever the case may be to the appropriate zoning district okay so that's how they talk to each other but what planning is also does and historically let me take a step back that is often all Uh, planning did in Memphis and Shelby County was it was an exercise to instruct future zoning. Mm -hmm. And then it was done. And then we were out for the first time, maybe ever. (laughs) We are now uh, putting our money where our mouth is and through the Accelerate Memphis program, we're actually not only going to uh, go through a rezoning process for our anchors so we can expect the market to bring us better products but we're going to follow up with making the streetscape the public sphere Uh, whether it's a road diet you know Mm -hmm. reducing the number of travel lanes a sidewalk uh what's the opposite of a diet making the sidewalk (laughs) wider (laughs) putting in crosswalks where there were none street furniture etc uh so we not only expect something more out of private ownership in this area, but we are also gonna step up. um, And I think that is gonna be key. So in the past, what would happen is, we do a a plan Mm -hmm. for uh, Mr. Jones neighborhood, and he operated a repair shop. And well, we don't like that. This is not an appropriate place for a repair shop. It's right in the middle of the neighborhood, et cetera. Uh, So we're gonna downzone him to a district that does not allow repair shops. And then we leave and then we mm-hmm. go on to the next neighborhood. Well, eventually, Mr. Jones, so you're a nonconforming, sometimes known as a, 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 a word that has kind of fallen out of favor, a grandfathered use. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you can continue forevermore, but at some point, Mr. Jones uh, is looking around town and realizing repair shops uh, look nicer than they used to. He wants to cater uh, to maybe, uh a a a wider clientele so he's gonna have to fix up make it look a little better well as a grandfathered use you're frozen in time you're not supposed to expand you're you're not allowed to so when he would go and say to the city uh to the zoning board of adjustment let's say or to the city council or to whoever the decision decision maker was hey this y'all down zone me to this district but uh this place looks worse than it has ever looked. It, it was worse than when you down zoned it. Mm-hmm. I'm the only viable business and I'm trying to get prettied up and you're not allowing me. Uh, and so in that kind of environment, especially in a flexible zoning regime in which we live, Mr. Jones would get approval you know, unanimously right. with flying colors, uh, notwithstanding whatever uh, some of the neighborhood leaders who are around. Uh, and participated in the planning and the downzoning processes. Uh, you know they just weren't often able to make a viable argument. When the city comes in and improves the streetscape, uh, and maybe there's some new investment trickling in, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Jones makes the same request. We're more likely to get the no votes on the dais to say, Mr. Jones, I'm sorry, you can stick around. Actually, we'd prefer you not stick around. But if we approve your prettying up, your, your whatever proposal you have to, to make yourself nicer, we're extending the life of your repair shop. And we love you, but this is not a place for a repair shop. Uh, you know, you're in the, again, in this hypothetical, you're mm-hmm. in the middle of a neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? I'm sorry. And we've put all this money into the streetscape to, to make this uh, a less vehicular, intense, situation and i'm sorry you just got to go and in that kind of situation guess what the this whoever we're talking about the the board of adjustment the lanes control board the city council there they would probably agree with that or it wouldn't be as unanimous at least Mm -hmm. right right so the 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 fact that we are putting money into planning uh i shouldn't say for the first time but for the first time in a comprehensive citywide manner, uh, I think will have huge impacts. And to your question about the grocery store, because mm. that's always the question, right? <laughs> right. Uh, right. We'd, grocery we'd, stores
0: we'd, and parking in Memphis, right?
2: Yep. Yep. Uh, we would, you know, we'd probably get more. We'd be more likely to entice uh, those kinds of uses in these areas that uh,
0: they're just not in right now. Right. Cool. Um, I don't want to eat up all of- the answers. Well, I don't think my, I don't think my questions are, are very good, but your answers are phenomenal. So you, you're getting to where I want to go without okay. much help from me, which is great. Um, so I think, I think an interesting thing to touch on would be, um, you know, you, you drive around Memphis, you see so many random things, you wonder how they got there or why they're there. Um, what, what are some of your, maybe give me one, two if you feel like it um kind of most noteworthy memphis quirks you know i drive down union avenue i drive past the old 19th century club i'm like what the hell is a mansion doing you know <laughs> next to a crystals and a taco bell um so maybe don't take that one uh, use another more interesting one but i think you see a lot of that in memphis um without even really having to pay much attention so uh i think a lot of people listening have probably had that same experience. So what do you think, what, what's kind of the coolest one in a nutshell and, and the reasoning behind it?
2: Uh, oh, well, let me, I have a good answer for you. Okay. But let me first talk about the 19th century club because I stumbled upon an article. Remember I told you between 1920 and 1922, we were trying to figure out what is zoning yes. uh, in this city. I found an article on microfilm other day um that kind of discusses the is in the commercial appeal and the paper says you know uh it might be too late to save this block of union from commercial encroachment but in the future we'll be able to handle it because union was a residential Residential street street. right and i think the block they were talking about was around the hospitals like dunlap Mm -hmm. uh so the block that you're talking about wasn't even thought of yet right. becoming commercialized, uh, but of course we know that it soon became. So Union, <laughs> despite our best efforts, it was identified as a, a street we wanted to save, uh, but you know maybe the marketplace was uh, too great to that 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 we could uh, through regulation resist. Um, and maybe we just didn't have the discipline to make the to, to resist. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, my answer to your question is going to deal with the eastward growth of the city. And, right. you know, if it wasn't going to be union, it would have been some other East West road. Right. Uh, so maybe it was inevitable, but I think the, the biggest quirk and we take it for granted because it's been around since I was born and probably you too. Uh, but out of town visitors are really struck by the Clark Tower. Okay, um, and that I, I don't know if you were aware, but the Clark Tower was announced, I think, like the week of, which is not fair. It probably was in the planning stages for many, many years, but it was announced almost to the week of Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination. No,
0: um,
2: and you know that was that was the the environment in which uh our our racial uh incongruities were being exposed was not the only environment that enabled the clark tower uh right Uh, it was the fact that we're on the mississippi river and across the river is a gigantic floodplain that cannot Mm. be built upon
0: we can only grow Uh, one you know so many directions
2: right uh the wolf river up there floods, because it the, the Mississippi River floods, the Wolf right, River floods. Right. So we can't go north very far uh, without a series of uh, complicated devices that came many years later. Uh, and the same is true south. So east was the main method of growth. And because we were such a monodirectional growth city, uh, it, it resulted in our downtown becoming Uh, further and further and further from being the center point of the region. And that is manifested in the Clark Tower. Um, And so you have a building of great height. You know, usually tall buildings are only built tall because the market requires them to be tall. Uh, You know, Manhattan, you know, the price per square inch of dirt is so expensive that the only way to build is up up, up. up. Mm-hmm. Uh, to some degree that's true for downtown memphis uh and in other parts of the city but there that did not exist at the corner of um the streets now closed but uh, i forget that well let's just say brookhaven and poplar mm-hmm. right uh, there yeah, was yeah. There, that the justification wasn't there so it was an it was an oddity to begin with. It's still an oddity. um, But what it was marking was this, this corridor is our new downtown. Hmm. Um, And, and if it, if you're speaking strictly of office space, um, you know, here we are 50 years later. um, And that has come to pass. That is, the is insofar as number of office square feet that is our new downtown
0: because when it was built it had to have just been almost a skyscraper in the country you know right so i can't imagine i you're totally right in that i take it for granted and it's built up commercially around it now but there must have been nothing there
2: well to be fair uh, the white station tower which is now called the i-bank tower was there, mm. but it was brand new. Okay. But A number one, it's shorter. Two, it's changed names. Mm-hmm. It doesn't serve as good of an example as the Clark Tower.
0: Right. Yeah. This works better. <laughs> <laughs> no, so that all by itself,
2: yeah. they, they, the two of them were out there by themselves.
0: Right. right. Uh, I'm going to take, I'm going to deviate drastically here. And I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to plug your blog because I think it is one of the most interesting pieces uh visually and and from a reading perspective out there so if any listener is into design and history of memphis like they have to check it out so it's Crim de memph right correct am i pronouncing it correctly so i followed it for and read it for years before i realized it was you someone i knew that was behind it but um like how i don't know how you even have time to do that Uh, on top of your normal job it's what's I don't have kids well that'll do it (laughs) (laughs) there you go simple answer (laughs) see you later folks Uh, (laughs) but um what what's the what's the what's your drive behind doing it and um, you know what are what's the most what are some of the most interesting little tidbits you've found while you've been doing it uh
2: I know there's people in the historic preservation uh, movement Mm. in Memphis that probably would uh, (laughs) refute this statement. But at my core, I'm a preservationist. And I think what originally moved me were, you know, how and why have some of our best buildings been torn down? Mm. And it's the, the, the why that, uh, I find fascinating um, because you know it's easy to just say they they are tearing this down right. this is terrible right but when you peel away the onion and you and the stories are sometimes very fascinating they're always tragic yeah. um, uh, I just did a post on a building that always just kind of gave me the creeps as a kid down by elmwood and I didn't When I knew it or when I remembered, it it was always one story because it had a giant fire uh, that made it collapse to one story. But it used to be three stories. So it was even, you know, probably more uh, Dickensian. (laughs) (laughs) And so I I did some research. This is my latest blog post. And they were uh, Memphis Furniture Manufacturing
0: Company. I'm looking at. Yeah.
2: And at one point it was the largest uh, furniture manufacturer in the country. And they were just kind of squeezed into this tight little location. And that 3 story that multi-story component of their facility uh, as early as the 20s just became their undoing. Um, they just could not compete with uh, the non-unionized rural one story factories. Um, and so by 83, you know, much earlier than a lot of similar manufacturers went out of business, they threw in the towel. So it it started off as historic preservation and it slowly morphed into, uh, you know, some of these classic old, so there's, that's, that's like one whole, uh, series, let's Mm -hmm. say I call it lost Memphis. Yeah. Um, Then another series are just zoning cases. And I started getting into that because uh, really through an exercise of uh, catharsis, because knowing that some of our most beloved places and buildings went through a very controversial approval process, I think um, is helpful for me because we don't always know Because we don't have crystal balls, we don't know whether whether these zoning requests that people are making are going to be resilient. We want them to be resilient. We want them to last for a hundred. You know, these apartment buildings that are being built, we want them to be, uh, you know, last a hundred or more years and be viable. But we don't know it for sure. Um, So it's interesting to see uh, which things that were really kind of predicted to be disasters and disastrous to the neighborhood and uh we've all kind of collectively grown to love problem is uh you know it's only cathartic to a certain point because <laughs> you know i don't know which of these cases will be beloved in the future and which will not but right it's a little helpful to see okay well uh zoning it's the very nature of zoning that people are going to get uh Particularly potentially aggravated because this is you know land, land and development that is going to last for a lifetime, at least most of our lifetimes, and so uh, change in my my neighborhood. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it might be bad, mm-hmm. and so of course I'm going to be uh, exercised about it, and so to know that uh, this is just the nature of the beast. Um, and you know, it's not personal. Good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And you know, we'll, we'll get through this (laughs) too. And, uh, it, it also reminds me that, uh, cities are like living, breathing creatures, right. And they grow in, uh, uh, unequal ways. Like sometimes this, this part of the body gets attention and Mm -hmm. sometimes this party part of the body has a weird growth i mean it's just and then uh, rinse and repeat and sometimes it flips and sometimes our attention's over here and weird things happen over here but uh i mean that's i guess that's why a zoning department is necessary to at least so there is some process yeah again uh or or we could be like Uh, what many people think Houston's like right when you dig deeper even Houston's
0: not quite what it's not quite the uh, unruly (laughs) animal that you think it is yeah right well I just wanted to throw that in there because I mean I I I shouldn't say this while I'm sitting here recording a podcast at work but I've spent hours on the site and I think anybody that listens to this podcast would also be interested in going down the rabbit hole that is this that is this site as well so it's it's (laughs) Creme de Memph, so dot com, And it's fascinating to me. Um, if you're interested whatsoever in the history of Memphis, it's a great place to start. I mean, from, you know, things that you didn't know used to be here to the history of buildings that you've always wondered what they were. Um, I haven't even delved into this Board of Adjustment Cases that you, section that you just talked about, so... <laughs> I guess I'll say goodbye to my, the rest of my day. Um, but I just wanted to throw that in there because I think anybody that listens to this um, as a follow-up would find that information on there fascinating. So um, I I think that about wraps up everything I wanted to talk about. I could keep talking to you for hours, but I don't want to eat up the rest of your day. Um, Maybe I'll, we'll make this a, you know, a recurring a part one. Yeah, that's fine with me. We can keep going. Cause I mean as evidenced by what you just said about this site proves uh, the evolution of planning in Memphis goes on and on and the the there's always new news um so job security yeah there you go I think it's it's a cool I think it's a kind of a, a cool time to be where we're at it seems like with the um, maybe we can find the utopian version of Memphis from a planning and zoning perspective with the the culmination of the, the the unified development code that that you've put together combined with memphis 3.0's long-range planning and incorporation of that combined with the you know the influx of new younger creative class wanting density and wanting some of the things that the udc and memphis 3.0 also seem to have in mind the combination of those three things uh, maybe that as we talk maybe um You'll be, have evidence of, of all of that culminating in a, in a utopian vision for the city, <laughs> a pedestrian friendly city.
2: Yes. Well, and I, I heard a couple of smart people recently say that <laughs> the, uh, the current housing crisis where mm-hmm. uh, supply and demand are so mismatched could potentially last 10 more years. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a
0: good thing for Memphis.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. So we're in downtown. S- see a lot more i think uh for the you know foreseeable future
0: well cool thanks for talking to me today um i hope everybody finds this interesting and checks out that site and like you said maybe we can do a little follow-up as things go on and kind of touch base about a variety of issues well thanks for talking to me josh
2: yeah thank you